a collection of sci-fi short stories that allows us to time travel, swap lungs, question fact, faith, and past decisions. The collector, <laughs> Ted Chain. The book, Exhalation. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let us get lit! <laughs> podcast about books and drama so kari how's it been how's your week what are you doing these days <laughs> my week has been wonderful friend of mine illuminator <laughs> of light how has your week been <laughs> well i gotta say i got out this week and i went to the library and it made me feel really new that's great <laughs> I, okay. i'm telling you i felt great going to the library oh, i have an announcement what Okay, go ahead with your announcement. <laughs> and then we'll talk about the library and stuff. Okay. I got the new Off-White Air Jordans. <laughs> Please um, tell your friends. I know you care. It was my first time using the sneakers app. I was just out for a run. I pulled it up on my phone and said, oh, yeah, these things. Let me go ahead and get them. Okay, so what made you get on that bandwagon can i, I say bandwagon <laughs> they are really cute i gotta admit they are really cute you get that but you feel <laughs> like you've become a sneakerhead. so yeah, yeah how did that come about um well I, I don't know there's a rush in acquiring the product that's all so there's this, <laughs> this it's like a little high i don't know maybe i should talk to someone about it but that's what i really like about it and then they came and i was like okay well that's nice but getting them was exciting that like have me on the high for a in month. The group, is it like waiting for the latest iPhone? Well, I guess the line? sneaker app is glitchy. And then, you know, they can take your, first of all, you pay to make an order. And then they oh. charge your account once they've decided you are worthy of their product. Oh, really? And I guess they often decide you are not. So taking an L on the sneaker app is just, uh, it's always trending whenever sneakers are released on Twitter. They're always talking about taking an L. So thank you, uh, you know, Nike, Virgil Abloh for deeming me worthy to spend money on your product, which I'm going to sell on StockX because I ain't crazy. Oh. <laughs> but I'm going to buy some in the future and keep them maybe if that price don't appreciate too fast. These oh, shoes, wow. come on. I mean, I, I pay like $200 for them and they worth $1,000 now. I'd be crazy to keep them. Are you kidding? I'm going to cut this out because this ain't nobody business and no one cares, but I'm really excited. Well, the um, I think that's really cool that you got into that. I think that would be exciting to be, to essentially be chosen <laughs> to buy sneakers. To spend your money on a product of marketing. It's genius. It is because it's got people like ready to take the L and talking yeah, about it on social real. media. Yeah. It's almost a, a community binding event. <laughs> taking the L itself binds the community. It's helping society is what I'm trying to say. So back to you in the library. That's cool, too. Or whatever. Oh, How was wait, it? How did it smell in there? Did it smell new for once? Way to diminish my experience. <laughs> Don't do I, I mean, me but like your that. library is awesome. I didn't go in and get to explore. I mean, I guess I could have. I was really there just to pick up books I had placed in order for. For instance, Exhalation was available um, and I picked that up and I was able to pick up Sound of Stars, which I, I told you I wanted to have a physical book for it. So I'm going to look through it and consider a true purchase of the book. Um, mm. And then um, I did have to go in and ask a question. So it, it felt good being inside the library yeah, no, again. The, the library is awesome. I, I yeah. do really love it. I give you grief, but. No, I love the library. It's great. <laughs> it's it really was. cool. It's like an instant calm that comes over me when I enter a library. Yeah. Um, so do you need time, you think, away from the podcast? Do we need to take a week or two off to reread some books? Because you mentioned The Sound of Stars, which was like two weeks ago. You had to listen to it on audiobook. Now you have a physical copy. Did you want to read it again? Um, no, not right away. I'm excited okay. for some of our upcoming books. So, yeah, yeah I just want to get into those. Yeah. See what they're about. So. Well, no, if you ever good. need a week off to reread a book or, you know, for life, let me know, girl. I would be open to the idea. <laughs> <laughs> We've been reading a book every week for over half a year. This is a lot. Yes. Yes, it's a lot. It's a job. It's a job. It's a full time job. Mm -hmm. In real life. 
Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, thanks for uh, checking us in on your uh, <laughs> your sneaker app update. Yeah, yeah, I know you cared. I did a lot. I, I did care. <laughs> so did encouraging. Care. Okay. <laughs> well, now it's time for Society Says. Whoop. You know what that is? It's where we share your comments, readers, with the rest of our lit society. Oh, I love this part. Kari, yep. is there a comment that you thought was particularly lit? Yeah, I got some lit comments. So I'm going to share one from Apple Podcasts. Um, and this is from Rykoff. I hope I'm saying your name right. Rykoff L. And their comment says, almost remembering. It's about our last episode based on uh, Remembering Laughter, the book. <clears throat> so that book was set in Iowa. <laughs> it's like, it can be either a very interesting book or a very boring book, depending <laughs> on your mood that day. <laughs> well, you but, know, Goodreads hated it, so. <laughs> oh, did they? Well, I actually liked it a lot. I mean, it's like 130 <laughs> pages. But this commenter says, love the episode, love the latest episode, and also props for the subtle Hamilton reference in the notes. So in the show notes, I wrote, and I write our show notes, I steal sometimes from Alexis. I do that a lot, but I finalize. (laughs) And um, I wrote forgiveness. Can you imagine? Because that was our theme of the week. (laughs) Okay. So they continue. Absolutely revelatory show that has the intimacy of your own book club with the joy of a full scale book nerd convention. Thank you for this show. No, Rykoff, thank you for listening. I know, I love that. That is <laughs> you made so our cool. day. Thank you. What about you, Alexis? You got any lit comments you want to share with the society? What's up? Yeah, so this comment is from our IG um, page. And one of the readers was commenting after um, our post about Kylie Reed. <gasps> Shout out to Kylie Reed. She's the best. Right. And so <laughs> this is from Phoebe2510. She funny. says, mm-hmm. <laughs> she says, they're my girlfriends and are exactly as they come over on the podcast. Hilarious and super smart. Exclamation mark. <laughs> I listen every week in good old blightly. Dot, uh, dot, dot. It helps me through my <laughs> lockdown week. Exclamation mark <laughs> times three. That's great. Thank you, Phoebe. So Phoebe's our friend. We actually know and love her. She was supposed to be here uh, this month or next month. Next Uh, month. She lives in near London. And that ain't happening because of COVID. Yeah. Anyway. So that was great. Thank you um, for sharing. Yeah. Thank you, Phoebe. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your comments, Phoebe. So remember, readers, to have your comments shared, message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or, and we especially love this one, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we're reading. Mm-hmm. The theme chosen for this week is ways to improve your memory. So I got to say, I used to be like really good at remembering numbers. I mean, you could tell me a number. I could see it written down and I could replay that to you for weeks on end. Yeah, like five, six, man, woman, camera, dog. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I remember. You was up there with the cognization. Mm -hmm. Numbers, a string of numbers, a string Uh of numbers. Right. Okay. Anyway, but I'm not in a position (laughs) to need to remember numbers like that anymore. So that's for me. I've not had the opportunity to kind of continue that memory um, skill, basically. Skill, yeah. And yeah. so when you don't use stuff, you lose it. Mm. I hate that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I can remember things like they happened yesterday. And then other times I can't remember what happened two minutes ago. You hear me? Mm-hmm. I feel like as I'm getting older, I don't remember the skills that I used to have or that I taught myself. I have to (laughs) remind myself, maybe even be shown a picture or somebody else tell me, Mm. you know, you used to do that. It's it's crazy. Memory is the worst Mm. for me. Do you ever have those problems with memory? Yes. I was telling you, I think on this show, I saw a photo and I thought, oh, that place look cool. Apparently, I took the photo. <laughs> it was in Spain. I forgot how to even went to Spain. Oh, yeah, and I, I was like, that. Yeah, scary stuff. So to answer your question, uh, yeah, I got a problem with it. Help yeah, me out. It's mm-hmm. a big thing. My grandmother um, said that my memory was selected. Have you ever been selective? Have you ever been told that before? So the thing is, everyone's memories are selective. I, I know that's supposed to imply something like you choose to remember what you want to remember. And we all do that either subconsciously or consciously. Absolutely. Everyone has a subjective memory. Yeah. So, so I'm sure I was told that. 
Yeah, selective memory. By a teacher or, or a boss waiting for a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> they always be on me about deadlines. Ooh. Ooh, they do the pressure, huh? <laughs> selective memory or selective amnesia is the again the ability to retrieve certain facts and events but not others. In most cases, though, an individual who um, suffers from selective amnesia may forget certain events or milestones in their life, such as skills, which I mentioned, friendships, relationships, abilities, even prior traumatic experience. And it's it, um, the article mentioned several things that contribute to selective amnesia or um, having a selective memory, and that's imp- imbalanced emotions, poor nutrition, human willpower, disease disorders, and even aging. And that was on a website called betterhelp.com, an overview of selective memory. I remember um, asking my mom, I used to ask her all the time, uh, do you remember, can you tell me how this happened in my youth or that? And she'd be like, I don't remember that. (laughs) I used to be so mad and my feelings would be so hurt. And she was like, I had seven children. That's true. I do not have time to be remembering your stuff. (laughs) And I would be so offended. And I would be like really mad. And she would say, "Uh, it'll happen to you one day. Girl, well, don't feel bad because I'm an only child. My mama don't remember nothing about me. Go ahead. I was going to ask you, do your mama do you that way? Uh, I don't really be asking their stuff about my childhood like that. But um, yeah, I'm very confident that it would be the same type of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> like I have nothing else going on in my life but you. Like I'm just your secretary to remember everything you done did. No. Exactly. So <laughs> true to my mother's words, I too, when my daughter asked me about things that happened when she young. I'm like, that wasn't my life. (laughs) (laughs) I remember remember stuff from my own life. I remember stuff from your own life. (laughs) Please, please. Can you? Can you just back up off of me? So I understand now. I understand. Well, uh, I found several articles that talked about how to improve your memory. But one article I found was from bestlifeonline.com. And it had 35 crazy facts about your memory. So I just selected a couple of a few of them this year. Let's get into it. Okay. Um, One of them said our brains have the capacity to store up to 2.5 petabytes of data. Mm. which is equivalent to 3 million hours of TV shows or the same storage as nearly 4,256 gigabyte iPhones. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, Second, we start to forget our childhood memories when we're in childhood. It's called childhood amnesia. Yeah, we talk about that a bit in the story we're going to discuss today. Yeah. Um, Three, walking through a doorway triggers the brain to forget. The physical act of walking through a doorway. Yeah, I I believe that because I've had a couple apartments and I can barely remember what happened in some of them. So, yeah. When you walk out, you like completely forget everything that happened there. That was for a moment in time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Number four, love at first sight is a fabrication. This is for all you hopeless romantics out there. Okay, (laughs) losers. (laughs) (laughs) They say. We have a tendency to project our current feelings onto our past memories and your memory refrains and edits events to create a story to fit your current world. So scary. True. Mm -hmm. Number five, left handed people have better memories. Okay, so I'm not (laughs) left handed. Are you? No. Okay, so I want you left handed people to prove that. (laughs) We don't believe they said. Yeah, I don't believe it. (laughs) So let me just. I'm going to throw this story in there. Okay. So I was talking to my friends last week. So this is interesting that it comes up. I was talking to my friends on the phone last week and she was telling me about the experiences she was having with a relationship. And so she was like, yeah. And it made me think of you when you had that experience in your relationship. And I'm like, <laughs> um, like why? And it was like, well, yeah, well, you said that happened to you. I was like, no, I was like, that's the other Alexis. (laughs) I was like, for real, like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Absolutely not. But two of them remembered it. So I'm like, oh, did I lie about that? I was like, completely unsure. But it wasn't anything to lie about. It's something that happened to me. Why would I lie about that? But I can't remember it happening. (laughs) I think in reality, it's so far gone past that. 
it's just not important to me. Yeah, you're not and that I person just, that you I'm were not when that it person. happened. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I, I just blocked that. I've applied my selective um, memory. I get to apply it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my selective amnesia has been turned on and I've blocked that. So right. it's not a lie. I did not tell a lie. Whatever well, you said happened. We may still don't know. <laughs> it may have happened. You may I don't have remember. Lied. Okay. <laughs> and I actually don't care about that stuff okay. anymore. So... I, I can't help you. I, I just don't remember it. Okay. Anyway, with that in mind, I think I need to improve my memory. How about that? So 20 simple ways to improve your memory. Oh, give them number one. Us. All right. Start the day with a grapefruit. Okay. It has lycopene in it. And that is helpful in preventing memory loss. Not they even tested. That. Mm-hmm. They tested the animals with that. So I don't really know if that works for humans. So, okay. <laughs> Tell us what they can do. No, not bacon. <laughs> Bad nutrition does contribute to uh, poor memory, okay? That makes it does. sense. Okay. Stress less. <laughs> so if you ever find yourself forgetting names, where you parked your car, when you've stressed out, you're not alone. It's linked to cortisone, that stress hormone, mm-hmm. and um, it contributes to short-term memory loss. So strategies like meditation, unplugging from social media, exercise can help reduce your stress level fast and help you retain your memories in the process. Number three, (laughs) eat oysters. It's a great source of zinc and it's linked to improved spatial working memory among middle-aged and elderly research subjects. So Hard pass. Really? Mm -hmm. I I thought you ate oysters. Nope. Oh, you know, so actually for the first time prepared oysters, um, coincidentally, last Thursday in my home. Uh-huh. And, and I thought, go? nope, now I have officially tried them in every way. The only way I like them is the New Orleans charbroiled like way. Mm. That is amazing. But otherwise, nah, y'all can keep that. Oh, the only way I like them is, you know, in the Dominican Republic from one of the guys pushing a cart on the street. It is the best. That actually okay. sounds awesome. It was. <laughs> Number four, laugh more. Laughter reduces memory zapping, cortisol levels, and it uh, it increases um, learning ability and improved recall. So that's not true because we have received negative feedback about this show because we laugh too much. And here we are having a conversation about how we can't remember nothing. So next, (laughs) (laughs) you got anything good on that list that we can use? Well, we forgot they said it. Okay. We're not laughing enough. That's what that means. That's what it is. That's what it Mm -hmm. means. Number five, meditate, practice mindfulness. So what was, so what does that mean? It's, I love that. Talk more about that. Okay. So for practicing mindfulness, it it helps you uh, make and retain um, important memories for longer, you know, thinking on things, um, uh, have, Taking time out to think about things for a period of time uh, helps helps it stay in your mind. You're able to recall it faster. So that is an important tip. And um, it's not the meditating where you're emptying your mind. You're you're mindfully considering something and dwelling on it. I love that because I'm reading every night and what I'm going to do is read less. I read a book that's very important to me, like shapes my life. But mm-hmm. I'm going to read less of it and meditate more on what I do read from it every night. So I've been trying to do that. But this is a good reminder to keep meditating on a nightly basis. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I love that, too. And I'm going to put it into practice. Yeah. And help me remember what, what I read. Mm-hmm. Mm, here's a here's a goodie. Number six, snack on dark chocolate. <laughs> Done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it ain't no problem. That ain't no problem. That ain't no problem. <laughs> Cocoa um, flavonoids, they turn the clock back on memory decline. Number seven, workout. Anaerobic Mm -hmm. exercise increases the hippocampus, that part in the brain, um, which is associated with cognitive ability and memory retention. So that makes that Try to sweat it out 30 to 45 minutes every day. Okay, I'm going to take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. People be challenging me and stuff, so I better try. (laughs) (laughs) Number eight, balance your gut bacteria. Infections in the gut can cause um, memory issues in mice, but I I think I'm okay with saying this applies to humans too, (laughs) not just because they wrote it down, but because I believe it. Loading up on probiotic foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, yogurt, and giving the good bacteria in your gut something to snack on um, is key to a better memory. Okay. And number nine, spend time with friends. They say just 10 minutes could improve your memory and overall... (laughs) 
cognitive ability. You came to my house. You guys, yeah. Alexis actually, I was working from home one day. <laughs> I got a ring at the doorbell and it was Alexis with a tiramisu made from scratch just for me and my husband too, I guess. And she came into my home and we stood on opposite sides of the kitchen for like five minutes. I was uncomfortable. But it was worth it. I was so <laughs> grateful that you had done that for me. And you yeah. know, anytime, come on by. Yeah, my discomfort helps you. How could I not be that <laughs> yeah, kind of friend, right? Exactly. Okay. That's okay. the ROI I can live with. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10, play games. Adult patients who regularly played board games um, were 15% less likely to develop dementia. So that's what I can totally get behind because it, you know, it keeps your mind active. Does reading help important. with memory too? Well, I didn't see that. Went, on no, the list. No. <laughs> so should we uh, stop? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's plenty more on the site and there's a bunch of resources online about the um, ways to improve your memory. This is just like the tip of the iceberg. There's even more professional um, um, versions of this. I'm not discrediting your site. Sorry, but <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and we ain't never heard of it. So who knows where this came from? Maybe they have a resource that they're quoting. What I loved yeah. about these tips, though, is that they're like interdependent, if that's the right word. So being more mindful reduces mm -hmm. stress and having less stress and being more mindful also leads to an improved memory. Spending time with friends reduces stress. Exercise reduces stress. And these were all steps that you brought out to improve memory. So by doing all those things, we help ourselves in multiple ways. I love that. I'm going to take some some stuff away from this. Try to apply it. Well, we're going to take a quick break um, before we get into the context and author intro. OK, let's do it. Can you introduce yeah. us to our author, Ted Chang, and some context about the book? Yes, I can. So Ted Chang is an American science fiction writer. Um, he's won, are you ready? Four Nebula Awards, four Hugo Awards, the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, and four Locus Awards. Um, his short story, first of all, have you seen Arrival with, I think, Amy Adams? Yeah, you know, I saw that, but I, I don't think I saw the actual movie. I saw that um the reference trailer or something yeah. mm -hmm. uh we should watch that that's that's one of my favorite alien movies it doesn't just gorge on the uniqueness of the aliens like physicalities it's about their mind and how it's just a cool semi-original idea that movie is based on ted chang's short story story of your life and it was my second introduction to the work of uh, ted chang which has led me to choose this book for our podcast wait did you read story of my life i did not no oh, did you okay. No, I did not. Well, stop trying to put me on blast, Dan. You ain't read it either. <laughs> so Ted Chang was born in 1967 in Port Jefferson, New York. Um, his parents are from China, immigrated to Taiwan. And then um, and they did that with their families during the Chinese Communist Revolution before immigrating to the United States. And I got all of this from his um, self-published memoir on Wikipedia. Um, but then there was an article in The New Yorker that's pretty interesting um, and talked about a lot of things. First of all, he went to Brown, majored in computer science. Um, there in 1989, he, oh, excuse me, in 1989, he attended the Clarion Workshop, a kind of like, uh, it calls it a bread loaf for sci-fi and fantasy writers. And then around that time, he moved to Seattle. And around that time, he met his partner, Marcia Glover. Um, and they've been together for a very, very, very long time. Um, and while he, when he met her, he had, he was working like a stint at Microsoft. So, oh, cool. yeah, he's, oh, he has a technical cool. mind. Yeah, uh, but the work shows it. It does. Right. Um, mm -hmm. This is a book where we're going to do a deep dive, but nothing I can convey to you in this podcast is going to help you understand the well-roundedness of his storytelling. He's very detail oriented. And so when we do deep dives on the show, we're very plot driven. Um, but the details are really beautiful and thought provoking in his work. So I still encourage you to uh, read it if you're interested in the work of Ted Chang. As of 2017, according to The New Yorker, um, he's a very private individual, but he owns four cats that we know of, goes to the gym three times a week. And uh, that's Chang. He's published 17 short stories, um, novelettes, novellas as of 2019, okay. and again, has won numerous awards. Okay. All right. Well, that was, I liked hearing about him working at Microsoft because that helped me understand all the technical stuff that was in the book. And he graduated from Brown with a major in computer science. 
So, oh, okay. and he's been writing. I don't know if I said this since high school. So he, oh, no. he those wow. two skills and interests were always side by side for him. He fed them both equal. I don't know about equally, but simultaneously. So it makes sense that he's a technical writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Well, you're um, welcome. Now, why don't you give us a brief synopsis without spoilers before our deep dive? I can do that. I took a page out of your book and made it truly brief this time. <laughs> and it goes a little something like this. Um, Exhalation is a series of little stories that ask big questions about life, our purpose, and the space occupied by humankind in the universe. Alexis, what were your first thoughts of Exhalation? Well, um, the cover kind of made me nervous. I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> Wait, why? It's, it's so blank. <laughs> It's really blank and there's not really anything telling you about the book. I do much more enjoy. I think it's the English cover. It's these lungs that are like metallic and almost floral. Well, that that coincides with the story with one of the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you should show me that one because I'll send it to you. I I don't know what to expect. Let me just (laughs) give it a try. Let me just give it a try. (laughs) I didn't have any really strong feelings because I, you know, it just, the book made, the cover made me nervous. So um, (laughs) (laughs) how about you? What were your first thoughts? Um, What were my first thoughts? I do not like short stories. I hate them actually. Wow. Um, Usually because I know you hate that word, hate. So I hate it. I hate (laughs) it so much. I hate it. Um, But uh, I hate the type of short stories that are like a man falling from the sky. What's the name of that book? Is that it? Yeah. So this, yeah, so this is the thing. Um, the book I'm referring to is Leslie Nika Arima's What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky, where you have beautiful, um, engaging, su- seductive stories that just don't end. There's no end. And so you're left with this cliffhanger that's indefinite. <laughs> and that is garbage to me. I hate that. I need the story to end or it will bother me for truly the rest of my life. Well, Ted Chang's stories all have beginning, middles and ends. So these type of short stories I'm all for where they are complete stories. They're not meant to just wet your appetite. W-H-E-T. They meant to give you something to chew on. So I like that. And to be clear, what it means when a man falls from the sky has some amazing stories. And that's why it, it angers me so much. But anyway, we're not talking about that book today. We're talking about this one. And that was my first thought about exhalation. Why am I choosing a short story book if I hate them? But why not? Because we have a podcast where we choose books we don't always uh, find interest in to read. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I love it. That gives me freedom of expression and selection. That's right. <laughs> we got 52 <laughs> weeks in a year, 52 books. <laughs> That's right. Well, Kari, I think we're ready for our deep dive. Let's get started. Okay. Now, um, a man by the name of Barry O, you may know him as Barack Obama, calls this a collection of short stories that will make you think, grapple with big questions, feel more human, the best kind of science fiction. I want to just uh, tell you that mm, my absolute I'm going to just choose one story to really dive deeply into. (laughs) Just I I really don't know how to approach this. (laughs) Um, And then I'm going to give you an overview of maybe two or three. How's that sound, readers? Okay, I can take that. And we never done this before. (laughs) You too, like that sound. That's a good, good girl. And we never done this before. But readers, I'm gonna encourage you to turn off our show, turn it off, pause it, stop listening, and go to Lavar Burton's podcast where he reads um, "The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate." Have you heard that? You know what? I knew I heard that story before. Yes, (laughs) Lavar Burton read that to me, and I. Yeah, and it's great. So, yeah, 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 I encourage. So, I'm not actually going to go into that story because I do want you to hear Levar read it. It's it's got some elements in there that, yeah. So, um, so let's talk briefly about exhalation. Oh, spoiler alert! Did we tell you that this is full of spoilers? These deep dives, full of spoilers. Full of them. We want you to know that. So, exhalation. One of the short stories. Um, exhalation takes place on a (laughs) planet. In another universe in the distant future, or perhaps a universe that exists right now in the universe of Ted Chang. Um, But the point is, there are these creatures who the main life being on this planet, they have lungs that can be interchanged. And one of the best ways to pass time between them is to fill up their lungs together. 
um, kind of like people do as they uh, smoke together, ironically. <laughs> well, these life beings fill up their lungs together and they go to these like charging stations, like gas stations, pick up their lungs, charge them with their friends and they're out like living their life. Well, one day the main character hears a crier from his town say that before he finished his like sermon, the clock struck and told him his time was up and he had like an hour left. And then a crier from another town says the same thing. And the narrator, we find out, is a scientist with a um, an idea that he hasn't voiced, but he thinks this idea is the reason why the clocks are stopping. And just to, again, whet your appetite, I'm not going to go into detail, but the clocks aren't stopping. The clocks aren't speeding up, I should say. Their minds are slowing down. It has something to do with like atmospherical pressure. And their minds are getting slower and then soon they'll just be life beings that can't move and the weight of the atmosphere will crush them and their world will collapse. I guess I gave it away. Moving on. Yeah, but you didn't talk about how. So that's still Uh, very intriguing. Yes. One word, maybe two. Auto dissection. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Um, Then there is, uh, you know, I can tell you, first of all, did any of these stories creep you out? (laughs) Uh, No. Okay. He's so strong. Well, <laughs> let me tell you, um, the life cycle of software objects. Woo! <laughs> yeah. So in this world uh, that's in the future, they're like Digipets, but they're uh, remember Digipets, which was stupid. Yes, it was a yes, virtual yes. pet you could have on a keychain. It's for sad children whose parents won't allow them to have pets, i.e. me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but these are much more involved AIs. And yes. um intellectually advanced and then they give them avatar bodies which they can use in the real world outside of the digital world and by in this illustration Ted Chang asks asks some really great questions about um what does the love that we have for other life forms how does it benefit them who has control and if you have control over something are you really showing love for it a lot of his questions involve or a lot of the questions he proposes involve humankind's purpose and place in the world well i well i guess i didn't really expect you to talk about the um uh daisy's daisy's patent automatic that's also name. very interesting what you got <laughs> i mean i just was like really intrigued by that because it was automation raising um raising children right yeah so in that short story a scientist creates a robot basically to raise his child because the common sense is that mother's a nurturing from a mother actually harms the child. Yeah. Cause it's over nurture. It's, it's done in abundance. They're you know, I don't know. I just, I mean, I know the statement is just made that a mother's nurturing is like bad for the child. <laughs> Not even that it's because it, it's smothering the child. It's just bad <laughs> to have a mother well, love up on, which is a very Victorian. It is mentioned that that's a Victorian um, sensibility where you don't see your children. It's like, you know, it's almost low class to raise your own children. This was believed at a time. Right. And the story also takes place, though, like in 19 and early 1900s. Okay, yeah. Early 1900s. So it's so nurture nature. You know, what do humans need and how will you end up when you don't have a mother's touch? And that's a very short story uh, that tells a a complete tale there. So I want to start with a quote from Plato. Um, And that's what this story made me remember. So I'm going to tell you what he said and you tell me what you think, what you think he was talking about. This is Plato's quote. If men learn this, it will implant forgetfulness in their souls. They will cease to exercise memory, calling things to remembrance no longer from within themselves, but by means of external marks. What you have discovered is a recipe not for memory, but for reminder. What do you think Plato is referring to in that quote? Wow, that's deep. That makes me think of a riddle that I am unable to solve. Writing. He was referring to what we commonly refer to as literacy. Wow. So uh, there was a big movement from philosophers and intellectuals not to encourage writing. Um, These men, I think um, Socrates also were men who were famous for their memories. They could remember things. And we don't even have to go to like European philosophers. A lot of our history, what we know about um, mankind was first passed on from generation to generation. Orally. In an, yes, orally by orators. So the idea of writing something down, first of all, th- there was a time when most people didn't know how to write. Right. And so you had to pass on. And that, and that um, process instilled a respect for elders. It, mm-hmm. it created a hierarchy um, for who you go to for the truth. You, you don't have a reference work that you pick up. 
you have elders that you um, speak with. So anyway, that's what the story reminded me of. And now let's get into the story. That got heavy. Oh, let me shake that it did, That did. Go, sorry, go, sorry. Go, okay, oh, here we go. <laughs> so in this story by Ted Chang, we have a narrator. We never know the narrator's name. It's okay. You don't need to know. While his child is an infant, the narrator, um, the narrator reads an essay that informs him soon it will be unnecessary to teach children how to read or write. He and his wife are like, wow, um, no matter what happens, we're going to make sure our daughter, our baby girl is literate, that she knows how to read and write. That was the past. Now it's today. His daughter is an adult. She is smart. She's dedicated to her job at an art museum, even though she could earn money, um, more money elsewhere. You know, she and she can read and write. <laughs> you know, she can read at least as well as her father. And for all practical purposes, she can write, but it's complicated. Uh, with her retinal projector, she autocorrects the words she intends to write or even sometimes the words she intends to say. Give her a keyboard, though, like they used to use in the old days, which is our time. <laughs> right. today, and she, <laughs> and she would have a problem spelling out even a simple three word article like the. This is where we are in advancement in the story. We're in some not so distant future where eyes project things such as the words we intend to write and even the memories we try to forget. Our eyeballs project them inside our mind. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Our narrator is reflecting now on the changes the world has seen that he personally has seen since his child, his daughter, was an infant. One of these, unfortunately, is the fact that her mother up and left one day. She decided that the family life was not giving her the excitement she craved and she left her husband and daughter. She left them so that she could travel the world. In her absence, they were both crushed. He had never wanted children. And although he loved his daughter, he couldn't help but feeling like he was in a situation that was unfair in every way. But then there were other changes he observed through life. And those included techno technological advancements so subtle that they're all um, almost unrecognizable unless you look at them as like a whole. And I think we can relate to that. Um, think of how we communicate today versus how, I mean, watch Seinfeld. That show would not exist if cell phones were prevalent. <laughs> Because a lot of it is, you didn't call me. You should have called me. Exactly. I didn't call you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, that's the way technology is. If you don't look at it in a span of 10 years, it can be hard to remember all the little advancements that led to where the way we live now. Within each advancement in this world we're reading about, um, there's been a trade, convenience and utility for something more. And I think we can relate to that, too. One of these advancements, advancements is a program, a software called Riemann. Before Riemann, people were already accustomed to wearing cameras that documented their daily lives. They could reference um, these recordings to track down allergic reactions and even relive favorite movies. So there were practical and pleasurable purposes to these cameras everyone wore throughout their lives. But sifting through the catalogs was cumbersome. Um, he compared it to old photo albums that you only bring out and look at on spe special occasions. Yeah, they hold memories that you're fond of, but who wants to go through all that? <laughs> I, I, so, I, I do. <laughs> okay. okay, so the thing with Riemann is that it has an algorithm, the software, and it can search through all those catalogs for you and display your search results, whatever you ask for, uh, ask of it within your mind's eye. So, you know, Alexis won't see it, but as I'm talking to her, I'll see it within my mind um, as it's projected through my eye for my mind. Anyway, it monitors even your conversations, looking for references to past events, and then it displays the way those events in the bottom left corner of your field of vision. For example, if you say, the last time I had a really big night out with friends before, um, I don't know, COVID hit, and you know, we went lounge hopping, and Alexis denied it all on our podcast the next day. Oh, shit. Then I, could say, then I could ask Riemann to pull it up, <laughs> and I, I can project it, not just within my mind, but like on a wall, and be like, see, it happened. And then oh. she will feel stupid. I would be like, that's a lie. <laughs> Who altered that? Yes. Yeah, so, um, but the point of the program, it wants to replace your memories. More specifically, it wants to replace the need for memories. So it's more than a virtual assistant. It wants to replace a key tool of your mind, a key, key utility of your brain. Our narrator is a journalist and has seen how life logs, those cameras that people wear, help solve important court cases. And he believes that the sacrifice made to wear this camera is worth it. After all, you can't have justice until you know the truth. But if justice was not the motivating factor, for example, in the case of everyday life, he found life logs only complicated matters. And an example he gives is a couple who are arguing about something one of them said. They use the life log to replay the incident, perhaps in private or even in public in front of friends. And one of them ends up proving how right they are, but they're missing 
the lesson. They, they don't get to learn how to resolve issues together working as a team. Joel is always saying that he knew it all along, said Deidre, even when he didn't. It used to drive me crazy because I couldn't get him to admit he used to believe something else. Now I can. For example, recently we were talking about the McKittridge kidnapping case. She sent me the video of one argument she had with Joel. My retinal projector displayed footage of a cocktail party. It's from Deidre's point of view and Joel is telling a number of people it was pretty clear that he was guilty from the day he was arrested. Deidre's voice. You didn't always think that. For months you argued that he was innocent. Joel shakes his head. No, you're misremembering. I said that even people who are obviously guilty deserve a fair trial. <laughs> That's not what you said. You said he was being railroaded. You're thinking of someone else. That wasn't me. No, it was you. Look. A separate video window opened up, an excerpt of her life log that she looked up and broadcast to the people they've been talking with. Within the nested video, Joel and Deidre are sitting in a cafe and Joel is saying, he's a scapegoat. The police needed to reassure the public, so they arrested a convenient suspect. Now he's done for. Deidre replies, you don't think there's any chance of him being acquitted? And Joel answers, not unless he can afford a high-powered defense team, and I'll bet you he can't. People in his position will never get a fair trial. I closed both windows, and Deidre said, without Remem, I'd never be able to convince him that he changed his position. Now I have proof. Fine, you were right that time, said Joel, but you didn't have to do that in front of our friends. You correct me in front of our friends all the time. You're telling me I can't do the same? Now, Alexis, I want to ask some questions to you and our readers. And these are rhetorical. Oh, good. Would you, tr <laughs> <laughs> Would you trust an agency that failed to keep good written records? Would you hire a lawyer that didn't write anything down? Would you hire an employee that didn't write anything down? Would you trust a boss that made actions solely based on his memory, his or her memory? And can you remember your mother's cell phone number? Can you remember your father's cell phone number? What about your partners? What about your kids? Let's move on. Our journalist has a conversation with a spokesperson representing the company designing Riemann, the program. She argues that accuracy is never a bad thing. And with his example, a solid marriage would never be threatened by their software. Our journalist reasons that, but what if our marriage is based ironically on the ability of either or both parties to forget offenses made by the other. Then keeping a perfect video diary of these offenses would destroy the relationship quite possibly. In most cases, we must forget a little before we can forgive. Mm. We talked about this in our forgiveness episode, yeah. but anyway. Mm -hmm. He thinks, for example, of his strong-willed daughter who was rebellious as a teenager. They argued a lot during those years, but those arguments have been put behind them. And now the relationship is pretty good. If they had this software to keep playing either privately or even publicly, uh, these arguments, you know, would their relationship be as good as it is today? Would they even be speaking? He recounts an anecdote. Two years after his wife left, there's one particular argument. He's happy he doesn't remember it pristinely. They were fighting when his daughter blurted out that he was the reason her mother left and that he could leave too for all she cared. Then she stormed out of the house. She, she couldn't have come up with a more hurtful accusation if she tried. Nicole, his daughter, didn't return home until the next day. And this gave our narrator time to think. Up until this point, he considered himself to be the greatest victim of his wife's leaving. Again, he never wanted children. And now he was stuck raising an adolescent girl. How could a job so difficult be entrusted uh, to someone with no experience whatsoever? Nicole's accusation made him realize her situation, though, was worse because she didn't volunteer for this. She had a right to be resentful. He thought he had been doing a good job as a father, but obviously he needed to do better. That moment marked a drastic change in the way he treated her. He was a better father now because of that one argument and the results of it. He thought of the way she hugged him on the day of her graduation, her college graduation, with so much force and love. His efforts were all worth it. If they were able to replay the arguments whenever they wanted to, whenever they thought of it, that, the, that hug would have never happened. Yeah. Our journalist also considers what this new software will do to people's ideas of themselves. Would you still consider yourself the way you do today if you could replay everything you've been through in life in like 4K video? Would you effectively lose your memory if everything you ever had to remember was already documented for you and on video? Who are you? <laughs> and then if the software crashed, would you become a virtual amnesiac? Could we theoretically be heading toward a society of virtual amnesiacs where no one can remember everything? So anyway. when I read this part, it made me think of um, 
cell phones today. You know, absolutely. We just plug the number in the phone. That's part of the reason why my numbers game, <laughs> my memory, because I just plug it in and keep it moving. And I don't have to know what that number is. All I do yeah. is press a button. That's why I was asking the question earlier. You know, do you know your mother's number by heart? Do you know your father's, your friends? Do you? I don't. <laughs> I do some. Okay. <laughs> Not mine, I bet. Mm. He thinks of his <laughs> earliest memories, the narrator does. And one is of his grandmother watching him play toy cars on the floor. She is happy. He's happy. But if he replayed that back, what actually happened, would she still be smiling the way he remembered? Or was she frustrated that day about something and was humoring him? If he knew the truth, maybe his memory or his thoughts of himself and even of his grandmother would be different. There's truth in fact, and there's truth in feeling. Our memories, our private autobiographies, this is why we can experience the exact same event as someone else. And yet we um, and that other person remember the same event completely differently. If we all remembered everything in the same way, what would be different about us? In order to accurately write about this software, about Riemann, the narrator, our journalist, our narrator decides to try it. And here's how. Most users of the software grant sharing rights, meaning that if you play a part, if Alexis plays a part in a scene that's on my Riemann, she has the right to pull footage of that scene. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So everyone that's in the room with you can recall at least the part of the video that involves them. Um, and so this is the way they still work within privacy perimeters, but they grant sharing rights to whoever's in the scene or whoever's living that moment with you. Um, and so when you replay those scenes back uh, and you can pull them whenever you'd like, it's from a third party perspective. Um, he notices that for scenes he's in, there's a bump in videos he appeared in almost 10 years ago. And that's because his daughter, Nicole, had installed Remem. Never told him. He decided that their relationship was in such a good place that he could revisit past arguments for research purposes. Mm -hmm. He started with the one he remembers the most, the one we just talked about, um, where she said out loud to him that, you know, you're the reason mom left and you can leave for all I care. So he plays it back and he sees himself standing in front of the stove from Nicole's point of view. And he's talking to his daughter. He tells her, you drove your mom away. And you know what, Nicole, you can leave too for all I care. I'd certainly be better off without you. <clears throat> what? Whoa, that's deep. Nicole has obviously corrupted the video. She spliced in doctored segments. Even though he thinks like if our relationship is good now, why would she do that? Mm -hmm. And he looks at the surrounding events and he does remember yelling at her for getting in trouble at school. But was this the context in which they had that terrible conversation? Because he remembers telling her about school in a very rational way, not, you know, berating her. She must have cut and pasted the video. No, seriously, to make it more slanderous. And then he uh, looked at his search terms on Riemann, where he had asked for that time Nicole yelled at him. It autocorrected to that time he yelled at Nicole. He Ooh. hadn't noticed the change. Ooh. Before this video, he would have testified hand on a stack of Bibles that it was Nicole who yelled at him. He never imagined himself to be that type of father who could say something like that to his child. But here was digital evidence of the contrary. He was exactly that kind of father, or at least he had been. He heads to his daughter's home and asks her about that day. He asks if she remembers and she looks uncomfortable and says, of course, I remember. He confesses mm. that he always thought it was her yelling at him and she's shocked. She stares at him for a long time and then speaks all these years. That would almost be funny. If it wasn't so sad, she Ooh. told him he feels sick to his stomach and he says he's sorry. Can he imagine how that must have made her feel, she says, to hear it. And his memory of the situation is just so typical. Hearing her say typical, that hurts him, too. You are always acting like you're the good guy, she says, like you're the victim who deserves to be treated better, better than you are. You're not delusional, but you're blind and self-absorbed. Dang, she really came for him. Mm hmm. He becomes defensive and reminds her that he's trying to apologize here. She fires back right because it's always about you. And he goes, no, no, actually, you're right. And he listens. He tells her what hurts the most is that he thought he was over this and that he had turned his role as a father around and had gotten better, which culminated at her graduation when she hugged him tightly, when their relationship was finally healed. And the look in her eyes as he's speaking makes him stop talking. She tells him. We had made up by graduation, not because you had magically become a great father, but because I had started therapy. She says her therapist convinced her that harboring resentment and anger toward her father was only going to hurt her. And so she worked through it. The therapist saved her life. And that implies she was at the point of taking her own life. 
Um, he would have been the last person she told any of this to. And it was clear now that he'd been recalling a fake reality. In truth, Nicole had done all of the work and he had done none. Mm. I guess I don't really know you, he says. She shrugs and responds, you know me as well as you need to. Dang. That hurt him too. That hurt me too. Yeah. <laughs> now we're toward the end of the story. Um, something that occurs to our narrator. He can't, he can't change the mistakes he's made, but he can stop falsely remembering them. He can get a better understanding of who he is and who he needs to be. And he's going to use the Riemann program to do that. We, you and I don't often think of it this way, but writing is a technology, which means that every literate person has their thought process technically mediated. There is consequences. We look less for truth and more for accuracy. Personal recollection is devalued. (laughs) The gains outweigh the investment in our narrator's opinion, though. He recommends Riemann, not because it proves we are right, right, but because it will help us admit we are wrong. You might think, he tells us, that although you don't have a perfect memory, you've never been guilty of something that he's been guilty of, of speaking to his daughter like that, of such a gross Mm -hmm. uh, misremembering to the point of hurting others. And to that, the narrator asks, but how do you know? You have made more mistakes than you think, and the core of your self-perception is, in many ways, corrupted. And that's the end of the story. Now, while he's telling us the story, he's also uh, retelling um, the story of Europeans who taught a tribe in Africa how to write. Um, So at the end of the story, the most literate person in the tribe decides that he doesn't want to be like the Europeans. He doesn't want to believe paper over people. And sometimes what matters is not the accuracy, but the truth. So um, his people had a respect for elders They had a respect for the way things were as far as how you treated your tribesmen and how you treated even other clans. And that's a respect that the Europeans will never understand because all they care about is what's written down. All they care about is paper. Jijinge opened his mouth to protest when he realized that Sabe was right. All the time he'd spent studying writing had made him think like a European. He had come to trust what was written on paper over what was said by people, and that wasn't the Teve way. The assessment report of the Europeans was bold. It was exact and precise, but that wasn't enough to settle the question. The choice of which clan to join had to be right for the community. It had to be Mimi. Only elders could determine what was Mimi. It was their responsibility to decide what was best for the Shangabe clan. Asking Sabe to refer to the paper was asking him to act against what he considered right. You're right, Sabe, he said. Forgive me, you're my elder, and it was wrong of me to suggest that paper could know more than you. Sabe nodded and resumed walking. You're free to do as you wish, but I believe it would do more harm than good to show that paper to others. Jijinge considered it. The elders from the Western farms would undoubtedly argue that the assessment report supported their position, prolonging a debate that had already gone too long. But more than that, it would move the team down the path of regarding paper as the source of truth. It would be another stream in which the old ways were washing away, and he could see no benefit in it. I agree, said Jijinge. I won't show this to anyone else. Sabe nodded. Jijinge walked back to his hut, reflecting on what had happened. Even without attending a mission school, he had begun thinking like a European. His practice of writing in his notebooks had led him to disrespect his elders without even being aware of it. Writing helped him think more clearly. He couldn't deny that. But that wasn't good enough reason to trust paper over people. As a scribe, he had to keep the Book of Sabe's decisions in tribal court, but he didn't need to keep the other notebooks, the ones in which he'd written down his thoughts. He would use them as tender for the cooking fire. Um, so yeah, that's it. Should we take a break? <laughs> You're not going to talk about the other stories at all? No, I wasn't. Okay. You want that's, to? Nope. That's fine. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Alexis. Yes. You know, I want to ask what your final thoughts were in your verdict of exhalation, but I also want to ask if there were any other short stories from this book that um, made you think that you really enjoyed. Okay. So 
let me just start by saying I enjoyed the short stories. Um, and I enjoyed quite a few of them, some more exciting than others. Like I really enjoyed the, um, the first one. Yeah. That's probably my favorite. Yeah. The Merchant and the Alchemist case. But mm-hmm. I feel like these stories really make you think. Like yeah. the automated nanny one. I really like mm-hmm. that. The life cycle of software objects. That one was um, very detailed. And it, like I said, it really makes you think and question, uh, question things. There were really great thoughtful stories. The uh, technology aspects in here were very heavy for my brain. I like literally had to go down and write stuff down about (laughs) the stories because it was so challenging, but I truly appreciated it. What it did for me, Um, the ideas that they put out there, the idea about branching. And not that the decision branches you off, And then you got these parallel worlds. So this is an idea that some people believe in, that we are simultaneously living a parallel life to ourselves in other dimensions. Well, the fun thing about this story is that you can communicate with them. You can communicate with yourself in the other dimension. They could be doing better in life than you. They could be doing not so great in (laughs) life. And so people start getting jealous at the lives their other selves lead like but you and me how come your life's so much better than me and they need support groups yeah and yeah and they start hustling (laughs) (laughs) they start like scamming people together like well if you got this person in your world this is what we gonna do (laughs) it's just crazy it was a whole that's good that could be a movie for sure i didn't really get the title here Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom, but I really enjoyed the story. So I, I really loved his writing. Um, I like that he included his author notes, story notes, where he talked a little, he gave a little detail about where the story came from and um, yeah, kind of where the story came from. I really appreciated that. So I love the book. I would definitely recommend it to others. How about you, Kari? What did you think? Would you recommend it? Same. Yeah, I would. Um, I would recommend some stories more than others, but all of them have um, similar t- themes. They, it's There's like a theme to this book, even though there are separate stories, drastically different stories. They're all asking the same question in different ways. Um, so I, I thought that was very interesting. He obviously is has a great mind. He's a wonderful writer, fantastic writer. I felt his the, the beauty in his stories were the details. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to really convey um, in this format in the um, in our show. But um, yeah, I would recommend read it. And it's a great book that you can pick up and put down because some stories are extremely short. So if you don't have a lot of time to read, then I would do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell you which stories I recommend in order of how much I love them. Oh, please. So right now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the absolute number one for me is The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate. I love that story. I love how um, the woman goes sees the younger version of her husband yes. <laughs> and the feelings that she has and then how she saves his life. I won't give too much away, but mm, I love that. And then number two, the truth of fact, the truth of feeling. And that's the um, story we just did a deep dive on. Um, and then I would say um, the anxiety is the dizziness of freedom where it talks about ourselves in parallel worlds. And, you know, would we be running scams on people with our parallel <laughs> self or what? <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Um, then I would say, wait, what's the great silence? The great silence is the one about the parrots. And the parrots are like a communication um, tool. And they're like dying off, but they're really great. Humans oh, learn parrots, to. Oh, parrots, like yes, the birds. Yes. They really came to appreciate them later. Now nah, you ain't got to read that one. <laughs> and then, um, oh, let's see. I would say the automatic nanny. <laughs> um, just because it's super duper short. And the idea of um, should you nurture your children was a, is a real thing that people still struggle with today somehow. So, um, yeah. And then you never, ever, ever have to read the lifestyle of the software objects. I'm sorry. That's the <laughs> one about the digit pets that creeped me out, especially toward the end. Yeah, that was, was weird. If, if that it was literally weird. scared me. <laughs> Did it not scared like you? It. Yeah. Yeah. So it Just was to- weird. It was weird. <laughs> Yeah, I want to give more away, but I won't. So anyway, that's it. And yes, I would recommend this book. Yeah. Great selection, Karia. <laughs> so we're kind of in line. I definitely love The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate. Yeah. Um, The truth of fact, when he revealed, when he was able to see that he said those words after we listened to him, how he talked about how he had made this improvement, after, I was like, Dang. But that's real, right? Who we are, who we think of ourselves 
the people we view ourselves as are based on flawed memories. Yeah. <laughs> we look at ourselves in a certain light based on the memories we have of things we've done, even the mistakes we've made, but we're only seeing that I, through I mean, our we, own we cannot, eyes, right? Yeah, through mm-hmm. our own eyes and, and we memory. Could be wrong. And we could be wrong. Because <laughs> yeah. we could have false memories. We could um, not remember the story as it actually happened. What is it? But that? one thing that's for sure is that we've made more mistakes than we remember, mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. We've Absolutely. done more wrong than we can recall. Yeah. Because um, I really love the um, the Tevlin story. Is it Tevlin? I love that story as well. Within the truth of fact and truth of oh, feeling. Oh, yeah. And then, Me too. And then the anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. That's like mm-hmm. the third best. And then um, the automated nanny and the um, fellows. That one, I like mm-hmm. that one too. So anyway, great book, great read. Surprised me. I didn't think I was going <laughs> to like it. That's it for us. What are we reading <laughs> next week, Kari? Black Card by Chris Terry. Oh, yeah. That is, that's my book, right? Yep. You chose it. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> I did. I chose it from um, my friend that moved out of town and she left her books for me to take back to the library. And I just paged to him and said, let me read one of them <laughs> books. Anyway, <laughs> so that's on the list. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. That's me. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. Because we love y'all, too. We love you guys. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read.